0: And uh, we're continuing on in our uh, series on the book of James, and this morning we're talking about, uh, especially about our temptations, and I wonder how many times in our life in some of the battles we faced we felt like those kids where we just like had to sniff it, we had to poke the edge of it, we had to hold it, we accidentally knocked it off the table. It was just humorous to watch, yet reminded me that it is a struggle that you and I face in our life when there's some things there that are natural for us to want, and getting them in God's time and God's way. So we're talking this morning about overcoming temptation. Before we get too far in, we're going to read our scripture this morning from James chapter 1. Uh, you see in your bulletin it's James chapter 1, 12 through 18, but I don't think we're going to get all the way through. So we're going to read uh, chapter twelve or chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, and see how we do. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's our scripture this morning, and we're going to look at three ways that James tells us we can overcome temptation today. I think they're a little bit catchy, should be easier to remember, but in order to overcome temptation, there's three things that we have to recognize, and and we'll get through these, but we need to recognize temptation's source, we need to recognize temptation's force, and we need to recognize temptation's course. And if we can do those three things, then the Lord can help us and be with us as we struggle through this trial that we face in our life. There's a man who's on a diet and really having a hard time with his diet, and he had to go downtown this part of the day, and he knew that this part of the route would take him by his favorite donut shop. And those of us who are big donut connoisseurs and trying to diet know that this is a really big problem. And he knew that he was going by his favorite donut shop and that coffee always had to go with his donuts, and coffee and donuts don't equal diet. And so he knew that it was going to be, but he had to go by this place. And so he prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, if you want me to stop for donuts and coffee today, let there be a a place in front of the shop for me to park. And he said, sure enough, I found a parking space right out in front, the seventh time around the block. (laughs) Writer Robert Orban once said, most people want to be delivered from temptation, but like to keep in touch with it. And how often that is true in our life that we often know what the difference between right and wrong is. But sometimes that pull towards the things that God isn't pointing us to is so strong that we like, as it were, stay on the edge. Just so we can see in to what we know God may not be pointing us to. So this morning, this is one of the messages, and, and pastors might say this every Sunday. But I just wish that we could all sit down together and, and God could sit down with me and, and, and say, Pete, or whatever name he calls you by, if there is one sermon that I really wish you could get a hold of and, and understand and, and some ideas that you could adopt into your life so that you could live a, a happy, joyful, successful, spirit-filled ministry and life for God, then this might be the sermon for you. And I think that this is one of the things, I know it is, that we all face. James has talked earlier in our passage about trials, and we know that that oftentimes was referring to the kind of persecution and suffering that the church of that day was going through because of their faith, because their willingness to stand for the gospel. And so they were cast out of their homes or, or stigmatized in their community, or even worse, because of their stand for the gospel. And so James writes to this church and these people who, who face temptation like you and I do each and every day. So this sermon really is for everyone, all of us this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit might have something to say about how we overcome temptation. And I was thinking in my mind as I, as I, as I read this passage during the week and, and thought about these verses that I wonder if James had Proverbs chapter 7 in mind when he wrote this passage. If you know your Bible, well, you know that in Proverbs chapter 7, the Scriptures talk about the lack of wisdom that a young man showed when he succumbed to a woman's enticements. It talks about it in verse 8, and it says in that passage that his first mistake was he passed near the corner of where she lived. Now, those kids had those marshmallows handed to them, and there's nothing they can do about it. But sometimes we circle the wagons of our temptation, like that guy going around the coffee shop for the seventh time. And there's just something that, that just by chance we happen to drive by that place that we know we shouldn't be going or clicking on that place that we know we shouldn't be going or just by chance or by happenstance, we happen to be in the place where we'd be most likely to be tempted with that thing the devil knows that we're most likely to be tempted by. So by chance, the Bible says, by chance, he just happened to pass by the corner of our house and by chance, She just happened to come out of the door at the time that he walked by. And as luck would have it, her husband was away on a trip, and with many persuasions, she enticed him. And the Bible says, like an ox led to the slaughter. So this man was led away from the Lord. And I think that James is pondering such a scenario in each of our lives that when we are faced temptation, just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we have a really true and honest battle that you and I all face. And sometimes we're very aware of it. Sometimes we're hardened to it. Sometimes we just don't want to think about it. And James says it's a part of the Christian life. And you want to live a life of surrender to the Lord, then it has to be something that you and I face in our Christian experience. So as I mentioned, there are three things that we're supposed to do in order to overcome temptation. And the first one, James says, is we need to recognize temptation source we need to recognize temptation source and there's a couple of different words that he used in this um, section of scripture he's talked about trials previously where things kind of happen to you that most often are not under your control but in this section he's literally talking about things that come and try your faith they test your resolve they test your commitment to the lord and to his promises and to the life that he's called us to doesn't matter whether you're a committed Christian for 75 years or a new believer or new to the church. It comes to each and every one of us, whether we want it or not, whether we know it's coming or not, whether we realize we're in the middle of a fight or not. It comes to each and every one of us, oftentimes when we're least likely to know it's coming. But there's something that James deals with in his church that's intriguing to me, Is there's a conversation about where temptations actually come from? Now, there's a a different part of James where where James talks about the fact that this is this is an attack by the enemy. But in this passage, he doesn't mention Satan. He doesn't mention the devil. He doesn't mention anything. The conversation is really with the church that had begun to blame God for the temptations in their life. Remember, they're scattered. They're poor. They're lonely they're broken, and so the temptation to pull back into the world and to maybe a better lifestyle, a a more lavish lifestyle, even though it might mean making decisions that would deny their faith was very strong and very powerful. And I think that one of the things that they really struggled with was this realization that if God was leading them to be faithful, God was leading them to be committed to the point where they had to surrender their homes or their jobs or their families, then it can be difficult for us not to get to a place where we start to blame God for the things that are going wrong in our life, especially the temptations that come our way in our own life. But James says, God can't be tempted, let alone have the desire to tempt you. It's just not in his nature to do this, it's not a part of God's nature to either be tempted by sin or certainly to be then turn around and decide to throw temptation our way. But something about the human nature from the Garden of Eden has decided that it's much easier to shift the blame when temptation comes our way, especially if we give in and sin onto something or to somebody else. Remember that classic excuse in the Garden of Eden? When Eve takes the apple and then gives it to Adam, and God comes to him and says, dude, what did you do? And he says, ah, it was her. But remember what he said? The woman that you gave me. We often joke about the fact that Adam tried to pass the buck on to the wife, but that's not what he was doing. He was trying to say that God, you must have made a mistake here because if you had given me the right woman, then this would never have happened. And so this is all God's fault. And so many times we we miss that and we, we blame our circumstances and then well God you're in charge of the whole world. You're a sovereign God, so if my job would have stayed the way it was, then I wouldn't be struggling right now. If this person was nicer to me, then I wouldn't struggle being kind to them. If this person wouldn't have hurt me, then I wouldn't have been battling with forgiveness and bitterness and anger and down the list it was, God, if you hadn't given me desires in my life, then I wouldn't be battling these kind of temptations and Rather, we realize it or not, most often the time, we we start to battle with the source of where our temptations come from. And we try to put it on somebody or something or someone else. And James says that's not the way it works. That's not the way it goes. So he says in that opening part of our scripture, when you're tempted, don't say, God is tempting me. I think we could probably add to this, don't say the devil made me do it. Because it's not true. No one makes you give into temptation. James says it's something that happens inside of you that affects you, and you're the only decision maker that's a part of that process. He kind of calls us out as Christians in this whole dynamic of walking with God and how you and I, every day, time after time after time, are just going about our day serving the Lord, being obedient to him, and something comes on the computer screen or on the TV or on the radio or you're looking through a sporting magazine looking for your next hunting item, and there's that picture that comes out of nowhere, that temptation from the past that comes raging back to you. We all fight these things in different ways in different times, and what may be tempting to you may not be tempting to me. What may be tempting to me may not be tempting to you. But James is saying, don't put the blame on God because he's not the author of that. He has no part in that. And you're pushing away the one source that can bring you victory. Proverbs chapter 19, verse three, reminds the people of that day of the, the foolishness of this attitude. But it says in Proverbs 19, verse three, the foolishness of man ruins his way. And his heart rages against the Lord. The foolishness of man ruins his way. That's when you and I give in. That's when you and I fall. And for some reason, we turn against God when we we're at that place. It happens time and time again through history. One of the more humorous occasions, and it's sad, but it's funny. I was get a kick out of it in, in the Old Testament when 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 Aaron makes the golden calf. Remember how the story goes. They, they gather all the jewelry together, and, and then his leader comes to him, and he says, what did you do? Do you remember his response? It is, it's, it's as pathetic as any excuse you and I could ever use. He said, I threw him the gold into the fire, and bam, out jumped the calf. It's out of my control. There's nothing I can do about it. There are forces acting upon this that I have no control over. And James says, that's a bunch of baloney. This is between you and God and the enemy that is fighting you. Those things don't come from God. They're not God. Don't put the blame upon God. Understand that this is something, this, there's a source to this temptation that comes from somewhere deep inside of you. Born as a human in this world as a fallen creature. And it's so easy to rationalize all of this away. James tells us where our sinful desires come from. He says that they are come from our inner sinful desires. When you are drawn away by your own lust and enticed, James says that's something that isn't some forced acting upon you, some power beyond your control, but it is a war going inside of you that you and I have to mean have to face in our life. You know, there's desires in our life that are natural. It's desire to wake up in the morning and want to have a a good breakfast and a good lunch and a good dinner. If, If we get to the point where we have to steal to get our food, then we have taken our desire for something that God has given us and it's gone beyond what is normal. We're all created with normal sexual desires, and within marriage, God has designed for those desires to be fulfilled. But so often in our culture today, there are so many other ways to bring fulfillment in that area than God's. And we've trivialized it, we've mocked it, We've taken the scriptures and said they're not relevant anymore. And the fact of the matter is, it is our own desires within us that lead us out from the plan and the will of God. And then we try to justify it by saying the Bible isn't relevant or the Bible isn't up to date anymore or God doesn't understand the culture that we live or whatever it is. And the fact of the matter is, James says, there's something inside of you as a person born with the old man that is pulled away by natural desires Fulfill them in unnatural and ungodly ways. I was thinking this week about Jesus. He never had that. He was a perfect, spotless lamb of God. There was no inner carnal nature that he was born with that pulled him towards those things like we are pulled. Your parents don't do anything to you after you're born that places this in you. There's nothing the doctor can do, surgery-wise or medical-wise or medication-wise, that can take this carnal nature out of you. You and I are born with it, whether we want it or not. And as our children grow and develop, we see that it comes out in many different ways. But the fact of the matter is it's there for each other. Jesus didn't have that. And so we don't read in the Scriptures about Jesus fighting this internal battle with, with, with the enemy about who he was, who he was really in charge, and who he was going to worship. He comes from the outside to Jesus in his weakest and hardest to speak temptation into his life. You and I have it on the inside. We have that battle raging on inside of us where we want things that we're created to want and need, but temptation is to grab them, to go after them in a way that we should never go after them. Another way we can overcome temptation is to recognize its force. We need to recognize the force that temptation has in our life. A wise parent would never let their children play with dynamite because it has a powerful, destructive, dangerous force. And James tells us that temptation, uncurtailed and undealt with and unrecognized, is taking us down a very dangerous, dark, and he even says deadly Not an enemy on the outside, but an enemy on the inside. Working, willing to see how he might destroy us. I read a story this week of a pastor who was chatting with a 78-year-old friend. And this man had walked with God longer than the pastor had been alive. And the man was telling about a recent business trip he'd taken all by himself to a town he'd never been in. And he realized that as he looked at some of his directions that he was going to take him through the red light district of that area all the massage parlors and, and porn stores and prostitutes. He was going through the worst of the worst of the worst of that town, and there was no way to go around it. And he was telling his pastor that he stopped his car and he prayed that God would protect him from temptation as he walked by all of those places. And the pastor says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't mean to be offensive, but you're 78 years old. You've walked with God and you've known him more than, longer than I've been alive. And you're worried about sexual temptation at your age after all of those years of walking with the Lord? And the older man replied to him, he said, son, just because I'm old doesn't mean that blood doesn't flow through my veins. The difference between we old men and you young men is this. We know that we're sinners. We've had plenty of experience at it. You kids just haven't figured it out yet. And sometimes we can be as spiritual children not realizing that we face this battle and fail or we don't even realize that it's happening and we've walked over the line and we don't even know that we've crossed it. Charles Simeon wrote in one of his sermons an analogy, it's like we're carrying about within ourselves flammable material. And if we're not careful, temptation can strike that spark and cause an explosion, and the consequences of that explosion, how often are they under our control? Almost never. We can choose to decide to give in to temptation, but we can never decide the consequences of what happens if we surrender to it. So it's a powerful force in our life, and he says that this happens when we are carried away and enticed by our own evil desires. Now, this, this, uh, this was, a, I guess, to be honest, a fun section to study for me, because this is a fishing analogy, or if you like to hunt, it could go that way too. But this is like someone who's going fishing, and they're looking for the right bait to, to snag their fish. This is salmon season right now across much of the Northwest, and maybe other parts of the world, but especially here in the Northwest. And, and I'm a part of some Facebook groups, and, and right now, multiple times a day, maybe dozens if I took the time to read them, guys will message each other and message the group and say, What are the fish biting on today? What lure is working best? What bait? And, and if you see these fishermen, uh, they have a fishing vest, they have a tackle box that looks like a suitcase and they are prepared for anything because you just never know what the fish are going to be biting on. It might be that the place you're fishing at, and you can use salmon eggs that day. Most of the folks right now are trolling, so it's what kind of flasher? Do you have a small square one? or Do you have a long rectangular one? What kind of bait do you have? Do you have a wobbler on or or something that has a half a herring cut plugged onto it. You know what I'm talking about, and it can, be, it can be all kinds of different things. What kind of spinner should I throw from the bank? And what they're trying to do is find out what the fish are biting on that day in order to entice them because they want to catch a fish. The Bible says the devil wants to catch you and I. He goes about, what does it say, as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's like a fisherman for you and I. He knows without asking what to put on the hook for some of us it's a hundred dollar bill or whatever it is that you and i need and we'll do anything that we need to do in order to get that item or get that money that we need for some of us it's images that we shouldn't see and he baits that hook and he dangles it there for us because he knows that's our button The devil, for instance, knows that if he dangled cocaine in front of my face, that would not, I have I've never, to my knowledge, ever even seen it in my life. I would not know what it is in front of me. I would probably say something like powdered sugar. I should give this to Virginia to put on our cookies for church next Sunday. Hopefully I would not make that mistake or we would have an interesting service that day. I'd have a lot of hospital visitation that week for sure. That wouldn't be something that would tempt me. But if you put on the hook a steak dinner every night for the whole month, you're thinking, pastor, what's wrong with that? <laughs> That's probably not healthy. to Eat steak every night of the, out of the week. Maybe, I think they say one day a week for red meat is, is probably should be the limit. So those of you who are having that more often, you might want to think about that. But one thing will will not faze me. And the other thing, I might actually drool over it. And it just doesn't, we don't know what that's going to be, but the devil knows. There's an enemy who understands us, and he knows how we tick, and he's walking about waiting to bait that hook just the right way. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of scary to me. That he knows exactly what I want. Or exactly what I could be tempted to want outside of God's will. So James says, very natural desire to want a steak dinner. There is nothing wrong with that. If you go have a steak dinner this afternoon, good for you. Every night of the week, probably not so much. And you and I could go down the list. It's good to want to not be feeling pain. But to surrender to an an enhancing drug or A drug that would cause addictions is is a problem. We could go down the list of the things that God has planned for us to have within the bounds of marriage, within the bounds of a friendship, and down the list we go of the ways that God has designed us to live. And what the devil does is he takes something that's very natural and causes us to have a very unnatural need for that, and sometimes will go to almost any limit to secure it. So it's a source that is not God. It is a source that is that evil nature that was in us. It is a force that is acting upon us that can lead us astray, that is waiting and longing for us to take that bait. I don't know how much you do it in troll, but most of the fishing that I'm involved in, you get out there and and you might jig your lure. You might just be bobber fishing. My favorite is drift fishing, where you throw your line a little bit upstream and let it bounce on the bottom, and you wait for that right tug, and then you just yank on that hook. And you set that hook so deep in that fish's mouth that it can be the greatest acrobat the river's ever seen, and you land sunk that hook in deep. I think that's what the enemy tries to do with us. We get so hooked on this thing that we struggle with that we don't even realize it anymore or he already has us and we walked away from the God who loves us so much. Another thing that we need to do lastly this morning in order to overcome temptation is to recognize its course. How many times have we said to God just one time, just once more, Just this next time, and that's it. I'm never going to do it again. The thing about sin is it's never stationary. It is always moving, just like our lives, is always moving towards this ultimate course. And for James, he says that a life that gives into this and surrenders to temptation, it leads to death. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't pretend. He says he's trying to destroy you by these little things that you give into Sin is like a small crack in a dam. At first, it's no big deal. There may not even be any water coming out of it yet. But the force and the pressure that is building underneath, behind the wall, is something that can't be seen at the beginning. But the trauma to the wall and to the structure of what was made to hold everything in and to keep everyone safe and secure and happy is being eroded behind the scenes, Even within the wall where no one can see it's happening, that destruction is occurring as the pressures of nature and life force it upon itself. And what James says, eventually the life turned inward, the life turned away will be eaten away like a tree that's rotting from the inside out. I think the first Sunday here when we interviewed, I told you about a giant tree in the Grand Canyon. Been there since everyone could remember. Biggest tree around, I mean, lightning strikes and tornado-like winds and snowstorms and, and hots. I mean, it had withstood everything that could be thrown its way. And on a cloudless, pretty much windless day, that giant tree toppled over. And it wasn't because of all the forces acting against it. It had been rotting slowly from the inside. No one else could see it, but that disease had taken root. And James says that disease called sin in your and i's life leads ultimately, if God doesn't eradicate it from our life, to our own death, to our spiritual death. Worst case scenario, our physical death. But certainly our eternal happiness is brought into par by that conversation. So he says at the beginning of this passage, blessed, he used the same idea that Jesus did in the Beatitudes, Blessed or happy is the man who endures because God will give them the crown of life. All of God's promises, all of God's goodness and provision for us, all the things that God to be happy and successful and be fulfilled only ultimately in Him are planned and promised for those who persevere, for those who endure, for those who overcome the temptations that come our way. But certain as those promises are, our own death, where we lose that crown and we lose those promises because we have taken a different course in our life. If we're human enough, you and I would be honest enough to admit that there's certain, a certain thing about temptation that always promises excitement and fulfillment. I don't think there's ever been a temptation that was dull. You know, if I picked a plain brown lure with no decorations, nothing that shined in the water that's already kind of brown and murky, anyways, there's no way I'm going to catch a fish. I might snag one every once in a while, which is against the law in most places. No, it's bright and shiny with eyes, and it's as closely replicating what that fish would naturally want, anyways with a little bit of enhancement just to give it a little pizzazz, that extra push that that fish needs to latch on. There's something about temptation that always feels exciting and fulfilling, but never does it ever come with the pitch that it will destroy you. When that temptation comes your way, do you ever hear along with that temptation, would you like to destroy yourself and your family? Never once be happy, be more fulfilled. Take a chance, take a risk, just this once. It'll be fun, it'll meet your needs. It'll give you what you're looking for. What hurt can it be? But if you and I take the bait, James says, the devil has the hook set and we lead down a dangerous course that doesn't take us closer to God. It takes us closer to a place we would never wanna be. An anonymous person once wrote, watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, because they become habits. Watch your habits, because they become your character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. Paraphrased, in today's language, don't play with temptation. Later in the book, James gives really good advice. He says to run from it, flee temptation, resist the enemy and he will leave you alone. But first we have to realize the fight that we're facing. Something that is within us that is pulled away from the plan that God has for us. I just wanna offer real quick and we'll close with just a few ideas for us to, to keep alert in this battle as we go through our life. One is to study and know yourself. If you don't know your buttons, if you don't know your blind spots, then how are you going to know when you need to fight the strongest? If you don't know the areas in your life where the temptation is the hardest to overcome, or maybe you've already given in and this is just kind of a a place of defeat for you, how are you ever going to know how to fight and put on the armor of God in a place that you don't even feel vulnerable? passage in the Book of Psalms that says, "Lord, search me, O God. Try me and know my heart. See if there's in any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Pray that prayer to God. Ask the Lord to reveal your heart. Ask your Lord to reveal those places in your life where you struggle. Help us to understand ourselves better so that we can know where we need to put our greatest resources into living in victory. When we realize those things, then we can take some actual steps to avoid some of those temptations. Remember the passage in one of the greatest prayers we know, lead us not into temptation? We need to ask the Lord for wisdom to avoid some of these things. Sometimes we go there on purpose. Sometimes we go by this place many times and we, say, you know, I could take a different route. I don't even have to talk to that person anymore. I don't have to go there. Maybe I can be accountable or put a filter on my computer or it could be all kinds of things that we can do. If we recognize that as a tempting situation. We're not going to be able to avoid it completely. Heard it said once, you can't help if a bird poops on your head. You can only control whether you turn around and shoot it or not. Decide in your heart that you're going to make the right decision. Purpose in your life to love a life of a commitment to God. I remember my cousin telling me once, he said, Peter, I'm trying to love the Lord, but I also love some things in my life that I know are no or wrong. And so I'm gonna walk as close to the line as I can get. Because it feels so good when those temptations come away. He's pretty much already said to me he's planning to give in. Maybe not all the time, just some of the time, and then he'll pull back. It's so much wiser for us to recognize those danger zones and to stay away from them, to walk away. Maybe there's someone in your life that can be a buffer for you, someone you can call and say, hey, I feel the pull of that line. Will you pray for me? Can I meet you for coffee? Can we talk? Will you pray for me? Can you commit to think about me and call me up and see how I'm doing? Commit to that accountability. And I think ultimately it just comes down to decision we're going to live for life and for the Lord. We're going to live for our desires and for ourselves. And I can tell you right now that this sermon was meant for me as much as it was meant for anyone on this earth. And I think it's meant for you as much as it is meant for anyone on this earth. And may the Lord help us to be faithful to him as as we struggle. James said, count it all joy when you face various trials. Why? Because God is building in you, making you stronger, making you more wholesome, making you more committed. He's using you. And the fact of the matter is, there may be someone in your life right now who needs your strength. And maybe they need your testimony. They may need your friendship. They may need your counsel. They need to realize, you know what? The Bible says if Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, so are we. And you made me feel that that place in your heart or that thing that is pulling on you or that button the devil pushes causes you to feel ashamed or causes you to feel alone or causes you to feel like no one would care, and that is a lie from the enemy. Our greatest calling as believers besides to love the Lord is to love our neighbors ourselves. And the fact of the matter is we've got buttons too. We are called to be here for each other, so don't go it alone. Understand your buttons. Understand your blind spots. Avoid them if you can. Predetermine to follow the Lord no matter what comes your way and get a crowd of witnesses around you to give you strength. It is not guaranteed that every time it's going to be a bed of roses. There's a reason that Paul says to put on the armor of God because it's a serious fight. But God has all the tools that we need if we realize we're in a fight to the death and he has the crown of life to place upon our head. We stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you this morning for the scriptures and, and we thank you, Lord, for the passages that talk about help us through when, when life just doesn't go our way and, and things are sad and things are Are grief-stricken, and we're afraid, and and we're so grateful, Lord, that you are there very potently and powerfully in those moments. And sometimes, Lord, we're not as quick to talk about and share and want to converse with you about, about the temptations that the devil tries to draw us away with. It's not really a glamorous conversation where we make new friends. It's not really something that we go in and we draw people in with. We don't really impress someone by saying these are the Three things this week that I've really been having a hard time with. So, Lord, the temptation is to go this alone. And that's never the right way. So, Lord, I just pray we would understand the situation that we find ourselves in, every one of us, born as fallen creatures before you, desperate for your grace that is enough, desperate for a friend that we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege, God, that we can carry all these to you in prayer. And we pray this morning, Lord, that we would, we would see this fight for what it is and take the steps that we need to take to overcome and realize, Lord, that your strength is made perfect in our weakness and your love is greater than anything that we face in life. And all we have to do is bring our sins to you and, and they're cast away as far away as the east is from the west. Your love is deeper than the deepest sea. It's higher than the last ocean. It is wider than the widest distance. Your love is so much more than we could ever grasp. But Lord, help us to grasp it tightly as we fight this battle together. So, Lord, I pray you would protect us. I pray you would help us to see and to understand. Help us to avoid those situations where we would be most likely to give in. Help us to gather strength around us by people who are joining in battle together with us. Help us, Lord, to hold on to the crown of life. Help us, Lord, to realize that our decisions and determine our destiny And our decision to follow you will lead to an eternal destiny of grace and the crown of life that no one could ever take away from us. Thank you, Father, that you're always with us. And watch over us and protect us today, I pray, in your wonderful and holy name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you this week.